Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I used to say I lost my family. I lost my partner. I lost my recording studio. I lost my music. I didn't lose shit. I consciously gave it up. So three years later, after like what I thought was going to be this romantic life of selling drugs, I mean, it was fun for like a hot minute, but it just started going downhill. And I was so depressed. My guest today is named Skip Sams. He is an award-winning composer, performing artist, multimedia producer, and sober coach. Welcome to the show, Skip. I'm Skip Sams, and my clean date is 4-20-2006. <laughs> yeah, I nice. love saying. And it was not on purpose, but it is because I smoked a joint on... April 19th, but, uh, yeah, so 2006, so I've been, uh, clean and sober 16 years, over 16 years today. I am a recovery coach. Mostly I work with musicians and artists who are in recovery, who are looking to either get their creativity back or learn how to use their creativity without the use of drugs and alcohol. And so that's what I'm passionate about. And because that's the process I went through. I'm a musician. I was a musician starting at the age of three. I started singing and sang all up until 2002. It was right this time of year in 2002 when I decided that I was going to close my recording studio and become a drug dealer. And use full time. That's that's you know they say life changes with thoughts. One thought, and that was uh, mine. I was it was a beautiful fall day. The sky was crystal blue, and not a cloud in the sky, and everything was glowing like this orange and red glow. And I was in the back of a cab and looking how beautiful it was, but I didn't think. How beautiful. I thought, I'm going to close my recording studio and become a drug dealer. And I just thought that was the most awesome idea. And I had a recording studio in the Loop, downtown Chicago. And I wasn't rich. I wasn't famous. um, But I was working constantly. I started a record label. I had my own uh, album out that was being distributed nationally. I had a recording artist uh, who was a Broadway star. 
Kate Schindel, and uh, we had recorded her album. We were just uh, releasing it when I made all these decisions. And um, yeah, that's what I did. And, you know, I look back on it today and I used to say I lost my music. You know, we often hear, let me rephrase that, keeping it on me. I used to say I lost my family. I lost my, I lost my partner. I lost my recording studio. I lost my music. Uh, I didn't lose shit. I abandoned it. Mm. I gave it up. I think back, I reflect back to that day and that thought, I'm going to close my recording studio and become a drug dealer. I didn't lose that shit. I consciously gave it up. So three years later, after like what I thought was going to be this romantic life of selling drugs, I mean, it was fun for like a hot minute, but it just started going down, um, downhill. And I was so... By 2000, early 2006, I was so depressed. My last drug of choice uh, was crystal meth. And it didn't, <laughs> it didn't me keep me up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at first it was like, you know, I, I could stay up. Man, I used to sleep one day a week, literally. Sundays was the day I would sleep. I would go to my um, former partner's house. He would have me over for dinner and then I would sleep all day, I mean, sleep all night, sleep all day. And right before he was going to get home for work, I would get up and I would leave and I would go out for another week. That was my uh, life. But after three years, three and a half years, I was so depressed. I would have people over. I'd have a house full of people using drugs and partying, but I would go in the other room and sleep on my couch. I mean, curl up on my couch, just so lonely. And I was afraid to leave my house, actually. I, you know, so isolated that I was afraid to leave my house because if I was going to go out, then I would have to get on the subway, on the L train, as we call it here in Chicago. And when I would see the L train come by, I had this vision of falling in front of it. Whether it was falling or jumping, it didn't matter. I saw it and it was like, Early on in life, I had studied enough about the law of attraction and, you know, uh, Louise Hay affirmations. And it's like, if you visualize something long enough, you, you will create that, right? But this one morning I came to and I thought, today is the day the pain ends. Just go jump in front of the L train. You're, you're 39 years old. You're almost 40 years old. And you've, you've fucked up the last 20 years of your life. Anything that life has given you or success that you've started to have, you've just thrown it away. You've self-sabotaged and just go do it in this now. And there was something in that, that started that gift of desperation, as I call it today, that stirred a different thought process. It was like, wait, if you've messed up the last 20 years of your life and you're almost 40, what if you do something the next 20 years of your life to, to make up for that or do something good with the next 20 years of your life? And then you're only going to be 60 and 60 is not that old anymore, right? And wow, if I could live to be 60, I could, I could live to be 80. 
And it was crazy because I'd never seen my life past 40. Even in my younger years, I'd, I'd never really seen my life past 40. And I was diagnosed with HIV in 2004. And even though we knew that's you know not a death sentence anymore, so to speak, mm-hmm. it was still like one of those things like life is over. But when I had that thought, wow, you could live to be 80. So here's the other thought that changed my life. Your life doesn't have to be over. It can be half over. And that was so lyrical. You know, I'm a songwriter and there was just something about that thought that was so lyrical. And that's that thought is what got me into recovery. That's what got me to get up. And I went and asked my late partner and my parents for help to get me to rehab. And I had been to rehab before, but Brett, I had always gone to save my partnership or to, you know, this or that. I'd never gone for me. And this time I went, I wanted to do it for me. So that's how I got back into recovery. Mm. And and I love what you just said there, and 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 you mentioned it a little bit earlier. The gift, the gift of desperation. G O D. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gift of desperation, and, and this second time, or this last time, you went to rehab, doing it for yourself. And I think yep. that that's so important to talk about. And I've had this conversation with with family members and and people that message the show and stuff, talking about like I have a loved one that won't stop using. What do I do? And it sucks to say it, but the sad reality is we have to be at a place where we are ready to stop. It was the same thing with with the drugs, the alcohol, cigarettes. I can remember I was at work. It's been uh, a little over six years since I smoked a cigarette. And I can remember I was standing, I was on a scissor lift working on the outside of this building. And it was me and another guy. And I looked at him and I said, this is my last pack of cigarettes. And I, I saved one out of that pack. And I looked at it for like a whole day. I went outside, I smoked it, and I said, I'm never smoking another cigarette. I'm sick and tired of it. And that was the last one. I had to get to that point, though, where I was tired of it. It didn't Mm -hmm. matter you telling me this is not good for you, you're messing up your life, whatever, you know, fill in the blank on whatever the addiction is. It doesn't matter what other people tell me. I have to get to that place where I'm tired of it, where I'm ready to make a change, where I can no longer stand to be in this relationship with this substance. And then that's when I could throw my hands up and say, Hey, I need help. I don't know how to stop, but I'm done. Yeah. But people telling me you need to stop. I don't care what you say. If I'm getting pleasure out of it, if I'm still enjoying it, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I would say to those people who are, are asking you or when they ask me like my son or daughter, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend won't, stop using what can I do? I'd say set boundaries Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself. There are many programs available for family members of like how to keep my sanity, you know, how to, and I have to use that today. You know, I mean, how many addicts are in my life? Like, right. You know, I, I have, I have people I sponsor people that I love and I see them go back out. And, you know, when I was early on in recovery, I'd want to go chase them and like, come back, come back, Mm -hmm. come back. Mm -hmm. 
But a lot of times all that does is push them away. Cause I don't know about you, Brett, but somebody tell me something to do. And I'm like, fuck you. You may be right, but because you're telling me to do it, I'm not going to, I'm going to do the exact opposite. opposite, Right. I mean, that's the addict mentality. So a lot of times when we try to push someone to do something, I've learned this as a coach, I can tell people what to do, but it doesn't mean shit. You know, as a coach, just asking the right questions and helping people to see and find out for themselves what to do. That's when it sticks. That's when the aha, the light bulb goes off. If we try to back people in a corner or I'm not saying interventions don't work because there are times that they do need to happen, but it's still at the time, at the end of that intervention, part of the intervention is guiding people to see for themselves. If there's an intervention meeting, it's got to be up to that person. Yes, I'm packing my suitcase and I am going to rehab or no, I'm not going to go. And it has to, that's the way it has to be. Yeah, I I agree a a thousand percent. And I love what you said there about asking the right questions so that then they can reach that conclusion themselves. Because a hundred percent, man, I'm I'm just like you, where if somebody tells me to do something, I'm going to do the complete opposite. (laughs) Like you can't tell me what to do on my own person. You know, like I just have, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's being an addict or what it is, man, but I just feel this sense of rebelliousness, like just to my core, man. Like I just, you can't tell me what to do, man. I think that's why I think that's why when I was younger, like I've gravitated towards like punk music and just like, you know, I'm my own person and you can't control me. And like that whole just kind of mindset. And I still have that, you know, and here I am in my thirties and I still feel like that rebellious punk kid. Yeah, absolutely. I do at times too. Definitely. I'm 55. So <laughs> I definitely feel that at times. I have one sponsee in particular. I've I've worked with him for about seven years now. And sometimes he'll just call me and he'll say, Skip, tell me what to do. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> we can we can talk it through, right? We can talk it through. And you know, we work a 12-step program. So it's like we can talk it through and see how the steps apply here for you and this situation. And usually through that, we can come to at least, you know, some short-term action steps, but it's like, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do once in a while. It's like, cause if there's a day I tell you what to do, you better listen, motherfucker, because (laughs) (laughs) you know, if I'm telling you something to do, then it's real. So you mentioned that you're, you're working with musicians again, and it, it sounds like, like those lost dreams have been reawakened. I'd love to hear about you know, when you decided to, to get back to the music and, and what that was like for you. Cause you know, you, you told us earlier about that conscious decision you made of, I'm going to sell the studio. I'm going to become this drug dealer. Like I'm going to give up all these dreams and passions and I'm going to follow this one thing. Yeah. So what was that like? And, and how far into your recovery journey were you like, what, what was that all? What was that like? First, I want to say I didn't sell the studio. I totally 100% abandoned it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. But when I got uh, out of rehab, I was there for two months. I went to visit my mom. She had had a stroke while I was in rehab. So I went to visit her and I sat down at the home piano Mm -hmm. and I tried to play. And 
it was beyond of not being out of practice. I was trying to play a simple F chord and my hand kept playing B flat chord. Anyone who knows music a little bit knows that a B flat is in the F scale. So my brain was thinking one thing, but my hands are going to another. The crystal meth had just totally, you know, broken all the neurons and I couldn't sing. My throat would tighten up. In fact, I couldn't even speak anything that was like speaking up for myself. I would begin every conversation with like clearing my throat because, you know, I just forgotten how to speak, let alone sing. And I came to the conclusion that I've, I've lost music or abandoned it. At that point, I was still saying I lost it, but I had to be okay with it because I really, really, really wanted to stay clean. I wanted to live a sober life. And I went to a Beck concert and I'd never heard of him. And a friend took me and we were sitting in the arena and I'm watching. I'm like, this guy's awesome. He's putting on this really entertaining show. And the better he sounded, the madder I got. And I was mad at myself. I said, I'm never going to be able to do that again. I remember saying it's, it's okay. But I needed another creative outlet. So I took classes at the community college art classes mm-hmm. and I did it for the creative outlet. I wasn't doing it to get, you know, to be a professional artist or anything. And I wasn't doing it for grades. Thank God, because I was like, they were giving me gratuitous D's on my art, but I was, I was enjoying it, you know? and. What happened after nine months, I started getting C's and then I was getting B's and then higher B's. I think I even got an A at some point on there on something. And I realized if I can do this with visual art, start from nothing and over a period of nine months, start to develop some skills why can't I do that with music? And it was just like this, wow, you know, this aha. So I went back to the very beginning, like grade level one, as far as piano and relearning my scales. I spent hours just going over the scales, starting very slowly to get some of that coordination back and thank God my neighbor liked piano. I never knew she could hear me, but I literally was playing the scales for like hours a day. One day she's like, your, your scales are getting good. And uh, she's like, thank God I like piano. But I then had the idea that, okay, I'm, I, I still couldn't sing, which is my main instrument, but my undergrad was in uh, big band composition and arranging, and I had been a songwriter and producer and I thought, let's, let's take this to school, what we've learned. And I applied to grad school. And I went to grad school in Miami at the University of Miami and studied film scoring. Uh, from there, uh, I started uh, scoring film professionally. And then I decided, 
wow, let's go to New York and tap dance. <laughs> we got $60,000 now in student debt. So let's move to New York and tap dance. That was basically, <laughs> you know, because I danced from the time I was five to 15 and I had been bullied so much that I quit. But now it's like, why not? You know, I was in my 40s and was like, who cares? I mean, nobody's bullying me. It's very funny, Brett, because the guys who used to bully me, they found saw my stuff on Facebook that I was going to New York to tap dance and they were all writing me, wow, man, that's really cool. You know, so I got to start a, be a co-founder of an elementary school that um, specialized in performing arts. And I was the artistic director there. And things just started happening. And I realized my my dreams of music, I wasn't becoming a, you know, the the pop star or the, you know, the tap dancer on Broadway, but music started to manifest in various ways. I was able to live some of the dreams that I wanted. And I was also finding a way to use my music to be of service, which was very rewarding. You know, seeing these kids from the low-income neighborhoods come to this charter elementary school and just to see how they were expressing themselves with music and to know that I had some small part in making that happen, it's very humbling, but it also brought me a lot of joy. So I, um, I've been in some professional musicals. I did finally get my voice back. That was a process in of itself. But now I... I have taken all this and that's where it comes into working with musicians in recovery. Cause over the 16 years, I've gotten a lot of different tools and gone through a lot of different processes that um, just knowing my experience, again, I'm not necessarily telling people how to do it, but because I've had the experience, I can relate to them. And I know some questions to ask that they may not be thinking, or I could see like, you know, I know how I used to think one thing and I'll do another. I mean, I still do that, right? I mean, we all have these conflicts and we don't even know it sometimes. But uh, so that's why I love working with other artists and musicians. And hopefully because I have 16 years of going through this, they don't have to go through the full 16 years to come to it. And we can work through the process together and help them tap into their creativity. I have a, one program is called Making Amends with Your Muse. And just as we make amends with our family members, our jobs, I had a realization one day that I had a relationship with music and I abandoned it. Getting back to that, it was making amends with music. Music never left me. My family never left me. They had to set boundaries, right? They were there waiting when I got clean. The same with music. It never abandoned me. It was just waiting. It's working with music every day. I used to think I wasn't even worthy of being a good musician, let alone a musician. And, you know, when I sit down to play my piano, it's just like I'm going to visit a friend one day. And my friend doesn't care if I look great or like making sense when I talk or whatever. They're, they're just there. And my piano doesn't care if I'm playing poorly one day. It's just glad I'm, I'm playing. So those are all the kind of processes that I've, that I've worked through that I can maintain and grow 
my relationship with music. That makes total sense though. And I, I feel the same way, you know, it, it, it's like, it took, it took a little while once I got into the recovery process, because I feel like in the beginning, it's like the house is on fire and I got to take care of the big stuff first. And then once you get a little bit of time, then it's like, all right, what are my passions? What are, what are things that I enjoy doing? And you start to, you start to rebuild your life once you get the big fire out, which is like this out of control addiction. Then, then you're rebuilding, you're, you're getting your family back. You're getting, you're making those amends with friends. And like you were just describing, you know, putting those pieces back together and trying to, to rebuild your life from that wreckage. And then it's like, okay, well, what? And, and that was another thing that I, that I found is like, what do I like? What are my hobbies? What are my passions? You know, I felt, I felt lost in the beginning. Cause it's like, I don't even know what I like to do because my life has revolved around getting high for so long. I I don't even know what I like anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, it took several years, you know, and then, and then I decided a couple years ago to start the podcast and I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not. And I bought like a $20 mic on Amazon and started talking to <laughs> strangers on the internet. And I was like, you know what? I really enjoy this. That's I awesome. Like, I like talking to people about recovery. I like having conversations. I'm more of an outgoing person than I thought I was, you know, I've and you always... got the podcast host voice too. That's what I've heard. And I, <laughs> and I appreciate that because I, I don't like the sound of my own voice on recordings. I've gotten over it for the most part, but I don't ever hear myself and go, wow, what a great voice. I'm like, eh, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, whatever. I hear you. Yep. But it, but it's so important to, to find the things that we're passionate about, to find that purpose. Like you're talking about, you have to have a purpose. Otherwise, or at least from my experience, when I don't have a purpose, then I look around and I'm like, why am I doing this recovery thing? Why don't I just go back to where I was? But I have this purpose today of I can help people. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a good employee. I, I help people in recovery. You know, I have sponsees. I do the podcast. I do the other live show. Like there's all these things that I've, that I do in my life. And that gives me purpose today. And then when I see those things that I go, I don't want to live the way that I was living before because all these things that I now have in my life that give me purpose will go away. I'll give those up again and go back to the drugs. And it's like, you know, I, I look at that and I weigh that out and I'm like, I don't, there's no way I want to go back to the drugs because yeah. I have all yeah. these things in my life today that I love and, and, and enjoy. What you just said about purpose is so true. And the great thing is we get to choose our purpose. Yeah. You know, I used to think, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Oh, God, why aren't you telling me my purpose? Or, you know, what? give me these signs. But exactly what you said, it's what am I passionate about? And what you're passionate about can become your purpose. And you can use that purpose to be of service. And then it becomes even that much more rewarding. If I'm working to obtain goals, um, I'm sorry, like awards and seeking that attention for validation, I will never be satisfied. I will never be satisfied because there will never be enough attention. There will never be enough validation because I'm looking in the wrong place. The validation has to come from within. And the recovery tools have, have helped me to do that. And 
the way I'm really validated today is when I am being of service and I get to see some lives touched and people changing a little bit and just knowing that I had like a little tiny drop of of a part of that change and not that I'm setting out to like be like oh look at me I helped change them that's not it at all it's just it's that place of humility and humbleness and and an honor it's an honor to be clean and sober today I used to be the guy that my family didn't want to see. Now I'm the guy that my family calls and ask for ask for help. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And there's something that's just like helping someone that was in the position that you were in. I, I think about it all the time because there were so many people that were crucial in my recovery and and that were there at just the right times and said just the right things that I had like those light bulb moments. And it's like I want to be that person for for somebody else, you know, I want to be the one that, that invites them to, to come over and, and have a hamburger or a hot dog and, you know, relax on a Saturday and, and feel like, Oh, I'm wanted. And, you know, I want to be that person that says, yeah, I'll come and get you for the meeting. Like go pick you up and, and take you back to the house. You know, I want to be that person that, that helps because there were people that were like that, that were in my journey and and it's so rewarding today to be able to give back and like you said like you said just to be like play that little little part in in their recovery and in bettering their life absolutely you've mentioned that you do the coaching and stuff i would love if you wouldn't mind maybe telling us a little bit more about that if if there's somebody that's listening that's interested where can they find you whether that be website social media how can they contact you and and what all what kind of services do you offer Find me at skipsams.com. That's S-K-I-P-S-A-M-S.com. I have another um, couple other websites, mysuccess.coach. But really, if somebody goes to skipsams.com, they're going to find the links to my music and my coaching and everything else. I have a couple of different coaching groups that I am doing right now. One is the Making Amends with Your Muse. A lot of that is about how to rebuild that relationship, you know, as I described before, how to create the space to create. I would love to talk with anybody about that. That's a 12-week program. And uh, then I have another program. It's starting um, again uh, November 7th is the next group coming up. It's a six-week, and it's moving your music forward. It's kind of like making amends, but level two. And it's like, okay, so how do how do we move forward in, in setting those dreams? I do production work and so forth, but I, I'm focusing a lot on the coaching. If I'm helping people coach them and, and with their dreams, I have to constantly be working on my own, right? And there are many songs that I've written over the last 10 years that I need to record. So I'm starting a Kickstarter project on that and there'll be more at skipsams.com that's where they can find me on facebook skip sams on instagram and tiktok i'm sober on stage those are my handles i love it i love it 
Skip, it was so so great talking with you today, man. I love the passion that you have for helping people in recovery and finding their muse and, and getting back into the music. And I just love love the message you brought today. And I'm so grateful that we were able to connect and have this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Skip, thank you for coming on the show today and sharing about your journey about finding your music and turning that into your purpose and helping other people find their music. If you guys are interested in finding out more about Skip, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.